everyone. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our newest podcast, Striker Talks. Few companies in the medical device industry touch the entire spectrum of healthcare like Striker. From accident scenes to ERs, from ORs to patient rooms, Striker delivers the supplies, tools, and devices used to provide patients with the highest quality of care. In this podcast, we'll talk with the company's leaders to gain a better understanding of how innovation, new technologies, and teamwork will further Striker's mission. Let's go. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Striker Talks podcast. We have an exceptional episode for you today. I had a chance to talk with CEO Kevin Lobo for a good long time. We talked about sort of the broader issues and challenges and headwinds facing the medical device industry. And then we uh, drilled down onto Striker, talked about M&A, talked about surgical robotics, talked about Vocera talked about DE&I and many, many more things. So it's always a pleasure talking to Kevin Lobo. He uh, answers every question and uh, and gives great answers. So before we begin, though, I want to bring in our sponsor, SMC. I spoke with Paula Fond. He is Vice President of Sales at SMC. Paul, tell us about SMC. SMC is a medical device contract manufacturer with manufacturing and design locations in the U.S., Costa Rica, UK, and India. We were founded in 1998 by Chaitan Patel, and uh, we're still a private company today. SMC derives 100% of our revenue from the healthcare space, targeting medtech, diagnostic, and the farmer segments. All of our facilities are ISO 13485 and FDA registered, with two in particular, Massachusetts and Wisconsin, also having part four compliance for handling prepackaged drug and combination devices. Our core competencies are injection molding, automation, tool building, which we have both in India and Wisconsin, kitting and packaging for full device assembly. All right, we'll hear more from Paul LaFond a little later in the podcast. If you want to find out more about SMC right now, go to its website. It's smclimited.com. That's smcltd.com. Kevin Lobo, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Happy to be back. Yeah, actually, I was going to say welcome back to the podcast, but this is, I believe, is your first time on your own podcast, Striker Talk. So, but you were on Device Talks Weekly. We went over your background and everything for that podcast. So I'll include the link for folks to uh, to learn all about you there. And we can just hop into the Striker business if you're up for it. Yeah, sounds good. Good. Well, first off, happy anniversary. I haven't talked to you since uh, you hit the 10 year mark in October. I was wondering, what is the significance of being, obviously, a CEO for 10 years? Obviously, it means you're doing a pretty good job, but you've seen a lot. Does doing anything for 10 years, do you just sort of begin to intuit, begin to understand, begin to anticipate, maybe better than after five years? Well, I think certainly the game starts to slow down after a while. Yeah. First few years as a CEO, you're dealing with a board, you're dealing with investors. I hadn't been the CEO of anything else before Striker. So there are a lot of new CEO experiences you go through. And, and then once you sort of get into the groove of that, then you can focus more on spending time with your employees. Obviously, strategy is always part of your agenda, but it started to slow down. But I would say the pandemic kind of threw that completely off kilter. So the last few years has been 
dealing with a pandemic and dealing with the supply chain crisis, neither of which we had anticipated. So I wouldn't say that uh, it feels like I'm cruising right now, <laughs> given, given the unstable environment, but, uh, but certainly feel very positive about the outlook for Stryker. You know, we're innovating and we're growing, and it's certainly no less exciting than it was uh, when I first became the CEO. That's great. I'd like to just understand the current state that MedTech is in. It's something we've been talking a lot about on our podcasts. Some companies are having difficulties. Some are, are adjusting workforces, reducing workforces. I'll just say that. It is a singular time for sure post-COVID, but what is it like day-to-day for a company operating or all, all these headwinds that are coming at you in different directions, although there still seem to be headwinds? Well, I would say that the skies are clearing as I look at uh, 2023, 24, 25. We've experienced the worst of it with the pandemic, and then the supply chain crisis hit its apex kind of last July, August. Each month, it's progressively getting better. We're not out of the woods yet. We're still scrambling for chips and scrambling for some components. But I would say it feels like the worst is behind us. Uh, We didn't have a great year for EPS last year. We had a terrific year for sales growth. And now our earnings are starting to improve. We've taken some price increases where we can, especially on the med surge side of the business. We're having to deal with cost pressures because we, you know, certainly our raw material costs have gone up. So we've had to tighten spending here and there, just like everybody else. But the new product innovation is starting to flow. And as you know, the top line for us was very, very strong. And so if you're growing at a high rate, you can sort of absorb these problems a little bit easier than if you were growing at a lower rate. So from sitting in my chair, I feel very optimistic. As the year started, we gave healthy guidance for our results for this year. And so far, it feels very good. I mean, I'd like to ask you a direct question. Has Stryker had to reduce workforce at all? I haven't heard of anything out there. Look, we've done targeted restructuring, uh, and that's not new for us. We'll, we'll, we'll obviously, whenever we have pressures, and sometimes it's just one division, sometimes it's in our some of our shared services. We've moved, in some cases, to some shared services, both in Costa Rica and in Poland, and that has involved sporadic, I'll call it spot, restructuring. So we're not immune from that. And, and we obviously always have plans to do things like that, but nothing on a wide scale and, and nothing that's, I would say, system systematic across our country. Interesting. So you talked about, uh, I just listened to the, your uh, Q4 call, your end of your call. And yeah, I was, I hadn't listened to it before. I was surprised at how optimistic you were about the skies clearing. And you talked about a lot of positive aspects. We'll get into the, the super cycle of products coming out, but let's, let's focus on the global market. You reported strong growth globally. I think you said China wasn't really a part of it. You mentioned more, you talked more about Europe and Latin America. Where's Stryker positioned globally and where are you seeing that growth? Yeah. So China for us is a very small part of our, our total global sales. Okay. Much smaller than most of our competitors. So we're not being hit as hard as many of our other competitors have been hit because China for them is a much bigger portion of their business with volume-based procurement. So China did not contribute to our growth last year. But in spite of that, our emerging markets was very strong double-digit growth. So we had huge growth in, e, uh, in Eastern Europe, Middle East Africa, in Latin America, in uh, the ASEAN countries, in India. And then Europe was fantastic, double-digit growth in Europe. So Europe's been a growth engine for our company since we changed our operating model back in 2015-16. It's been growing right around double digits every single year. Now, that's making up for lost time because our market shares were lower in Europe than they were in many other developed countries. And uh, Australia and New Zealand also are very strong markets for us, as well as Canada. So this has been the fifth consecutive year international growth outpaced our U.S. growth. And our U.S. growth is very good. 
So that means the international growth has, has gotten very, very good for our company. Looking at China for just a moment, was that a decision of yours or strikers to not enter that market as aggressively as others because there were concerns or is it just happenstance that the products you had didn't fit into the needs that, that China had? Uh, it's just history, happenstance and history. Uh, yeah. we, would we like to be bigger in China? Sure. Yeah. Am I regretting it right now? Not as much <laughs> because I'm not feeling the pain as much, but but it's a big market and yeah. it's obviously a challenging and tricky market, but no, we, we didn't try to be small in China. It's just historically, we just didn't make the same investments other companies made. We obviously bought Trausen, which provides uh, locally made products for, for trauma and spine, which I'm very happy with and glad we have that asset, especially as uh, some of the nationalistic uh, buying tendencies are being promoted by the government. That puts us in a good position longer term, but but in the short term we have a, a business that's smaller, but something that we can grow from. And, and what allowed you to gain the ground that you gained in Europe? Was it having a was it the Mako system that sort of was the entry point? Was it your realignment, your corporate restructuring? What allowed that to happen? Oh, it was it was our realignment because we were underinvested in Europe forever. We invested in much more specialized sales forces, basically mimicking the offense that works very well in the United States, that works very well in Canada, in Australia, and other developed markets. We just had sales forces carrying too large a bag. And so we made the investments and put dedicated salespeople in, created a, a model that had better alignment with our US divisions. And we've just grown everywhere. It's, it's not just been because of Mako, of course, has had success. But if I look at endoscopy, if I look at medical, if I look at instruments, our med surge businesses have done extremely well. And they, frankly, still have huge runway or continued growth in Europe for the next decade. Or continue to gain market share in, in cameras and power tools and, and many of our other flagship products. We were not the leader or the strong definitive leader in Europe as we have been in other markets. So making up for lost time. In that same call, you talked a bit about the state of the US healthcare system. You're seeing some positivity with there. Why don't I just ask this question? What are you seeing from US hospitals? It sounds as if you feel like they're getting their feet back under them. Yeah. I mean, their margins are being pressured by inflation. They were yeah. pressured last year. They're still being pressured this year, a little bit less pressure, but they're still under pressure from a operating margin standpoint, but they can withstand that for a period of time. And what we're seeing is procedures are coming back and they're coming back very significantly. And we saw that in the fourth quarter that's continuing into this year. So that's a nice tailwind that we'll have probably for six plus quarters. We're going to have a nice tailwind on procedures and then the other side of the house is capital equipment, which is a big portion of Stryker's business, both large capital, a little bit less than 10% of our sales and small capital, about 15% of our sales. The balance sheets are strong in hospitals. They don't have a liquidity problem. The order book is extremely strong. We actually added to our order book last year. And so we approached this year with very strong orders for capital and strong demand for procedures. And, and that's a very, very good combination. Sure. How about internationally? Is there any difference? Are there healthcare systems going through similar pains? Obviously, inflation, I think, would hit everybody, but how do they compare? Yeah, it's pretty similar. What I'd say is the timing of COVID-related issues has been different. So Asia is still somewhat recovering. We had COVID impacts in China in January, February, uh, because they opened up their market and COVID ripped through their country just this year, you know, in January, February. So right. they're, they're a little bit it's sporadic, the COVID-related effects. Uh, Australia New Zealand had a bit of a softer fourth quarter, going to have a much stronger first quarter this year. But the same sort of general uh, tendencies prevail, which means osteoarthritis is degenerative. Patients stayed away from hospitals. They're now coming back. They can't defer forever. 
And now we're seeing that return kind of around the world, certainly in Europe and in the United States, but we're also seeing that in other markets. Japan never really had a big spike, still doesn't have a, a big spike of COVID. It's sort of mm. contained. They, they're still wearing masks everywhere. So their demand has been more steady and, and less spiky than other markets, but the same conditions generally apply. Uh, and the governments did step in like they did in the United States for, with CARES Act funding to shore up hospital balance sheets during the pandemic. They also stepped in in many other markets, particularly in Europe. So the balance sheet situation for capital equipment is, is pretty strong globally. Hmm. This may seem like a stretch to go to the next topic, but Mako, listening to the call again, you talked about making Mako available for procedures in spine and shoulder. You could talk a minute about where you are with that. But what I found interesting was the opportunity you see is that so many of these hospitals already have a system in place. So you're not selling them a new robotic system. You're selling them the software and the attachments that they need to do these new procedures. Where are you with moving into these new areas with Mako and how great a benefit is to already have sort of these existing customers you can sell additional products to? Yeah, I know. Certainly, we love our position as the leader in robotic assisted surgery. And uh, we already have a partial knee, total knee. So three applications currently on the robot and the same robot, just with different attachments, different software. And in the second half of next year, we'll be adding spine and then towards the end of the year, shoulder. And, and that's incredible for us to have all of those applications on the same robot. Yeah. Specifically with spine, if you if you look at buying just a robot only for spine, you have to pay the full price of the robot and you're only getting one application. For us, right out of the gates, they, if, you, if you're in a hospital that has downtime with Mako, once you run out of downtime, then you need the next Mako, obviously. But let's say you have an open day on Thursday or Friday, and there's a spine surgeon that wants to start using Mako. They can start to use it, gain, gain experience. And then if they really are enamored as we think they will be, then they'll obviously lobby to get another Mako. We have many hospitals that have five, six, seven Makos already, because once they start getting busy, the surgeon doesn't want to have to operate on Friday. They want to operate on their normal operating day. So then they'll lobby for their own robot. But uh, but being able to start off by not having to deal with the capital for many, many institutions that already have Mako, if they have a spine surgeon or a shoulder surgeon, that makes the adoption curve quicker than if I had a standalone robot only for spine or a standalone robot only for shoulder, then you have to go through the whole process of getting the capital acquired and then and then also the you know the software and then the, and the procedures. So it puts us in a good position, especially for spine, which for us is a bit of a product gap. We we can start to accelerate in spine more quickly than if we had a standalone robot. So when you acquired K2M, was it three, four years ago now? Yeah, yeah. more than that, five years. Five years. And I'm guessing the answer will be yes to this, but was there someday we'll be able to use these implants, have Mako perform these surgeries? Was that always the plan? Well, I think K2M was separate. It was a separate decision. We needed okay. to have a broader base portfolio regardless of Mako. So it wasn't really linked to Mako, to be honest. It's okay. standalone. We needed a, a stronger position in spine and K2M had really a really terrific portfolio in scoliosis and some other areas that we didn't have. So it was really, when I look at innovation for Stryker, it's either internally developed innovation or innovation through acquisitions. We're quite agnostic about where we get our innovation from. Mako obviously was acquired technology, and we've paired that with our internally developed triathlon knee and, and our accolade and our insignia hip stems, which are all internally developed. We don't really care whether we do it through acquisitions or whether we do it through internal innovations. And in the case of K2M, that was an acquisition that bolstered our pipeline for spine, which now then can be applied to Mako in, in, in addition to our existing spinal products. Gotcha. 
your shoulder implant is it yours or are you it's ours we, we acquired right medical right so we, we are oh that a- was show okay maybe i'm thinking about something else i'm sorry yeah, all right no so so yeah. right medical is the market leader yeah. in shoulder joint arthroplasty and, and for us that was one of the major reasons we did right medical we picked up a terrific upper extremities business market leading where we were a, a smaller player we also picked up the market leader in total ankle replacement and i'm not you know one day maybe that'll be done robotically but you know that's not in our current you know pipeline but it's certainly possible down the line, but we picked up a great portfolio. That acquisition is doing exceptionally well, but that's the, sh- the shoulder that we're going to be putting with Mako is their implant. We had an internal develop project on it with our own implant, but yep. they're the leaders. So we've, we stopped that project and shifted to be able to put their the Tournier branded shoulder implant from Right Medical to pair that with Mako. That's what I remember, Tournier. Yeah. Okay. And you already answered my right ankle question. Great. And I want to get into the right integration in a moment, and we'll talk about Vicera. But in the call, you sort of made a point and kind of had a chuckle to it. Like, look, robots are hard. Like, <laughs> And we're seeing that obviously more in the soft tissue side. But when you said that, what came to mind? Like, What are the more challenging aspects of developing and selling a, a robotic surgical system? All right, everyone, we'll take a quick break from this interview with Kevin Lobo to bring back our sponsor, SMC. Once again, I'm speaking with Paul Lafon. Paul is Vice President of Sales at SMC. Paul, tell us, how does SMC work with medical device companies? Well, we uh, like to engage our customers early in the development process to to utilize our design and DFM capabilities uh, before launching into production. These are long-term partnerships, so we, we like to get involved early. And um, many of these are also transfer requirements. These are programs that are transferred either from a contract manufacturer externally, either transferring it from China back to the US or internal to their own manufacturing plants and transferring out to SMC. These are the two main types of programs we get involved with, both from a uh, early engagement standpoint on new product development or and transferring an existing product that's in production. They typically own, in most cases, they typically own the design history file or the IP. So we're really an extension of their manufacturing and design competencies. That's great, Paul. And can you tell us a bit about SMC's new products or services? Do you have anything you'd like to discuss? Uh, we do. We um, we built our own aseptic fill finish facility in the UK, Cambridge, UK. That facility is for filling glass vials, syringes, and cartridges with other drugs from pharma companies. It now makes SMC also a CDMO, uh, allowing us to design, manufacture, and build complete devices all under all under one roof and fill the cartridge with, with drug. We also made an acquisition recently of a company called Oval. It's an IP technology company. And they have a number of different platforms, auto-injector platforms, mainly for the high volume, high viscosity APIs and biologics that uh, are are really growing in the marketplace today. We also had major expansions going on, over 80,000 square feet for our Costa Rica, California, and Massachusetts facilities. Finally, Paul, I'd like to hear how SMC sees the industry changing in the future. I see mainly with our med tech OEMs and customers, their focus has been predominantly business continuity. Uh, they, they always expect the highest quality levels, but um, with the challenges we've had with COVID and, and supply chain over the last two years, they're now looking at our supply chain processes to make sure that they're robust enough to make sure their product is 
is going to be shipped and they're, and they're going to get product on the market. So that's that's the number one focus that, that we've seen in the last 18 months. Sustainability is accelerating. It's been around for a while, but it's really accelerating at a phenomenal rate where they're measuring carbon footprint, not just in facilities and plants, but uh, also on any given part that is going to be shipped in the future. So in 2025, it'll be a requirement for a plastic part that's shipped to have a, a separate carbon footprint to know what that uh, number is. All right, well, that is great. Thank you again, Paul LaFond of SMC, Vice President of Sales at SMC, for joining us on the episode. And of course, thank you to SMC for sponsoring this episode of Striker Talks. If you'd like to find out more information about SMC, go to its website, smcltd.com. What are the more challenging aspects of developing and selling a a robotic surgical system? So it's the last word you just said. It's a system. Yeah. Right? It's a system that has to integrate hardware with software, knowing where the body is in space and being able to have all of this this system integrate to provide a terrific outcome. It's incredibly complicated. We already had navigation type capital equipment type technology. So we were able to leverage already existing capabilities within our organization that come together as a system. But that's what makes robotics hard. It has to be rigid. It has to be able to speak to a camera. The camera has to speak to a computer. You have to be able to read a preoperative plan. You have to all of that register the joints to make sure that the, every, the computer all knows where everything is. That's what makes it hard. That's what makes it hard in, in hard tissue robotics. That's what makes it hard in soft tissue robotics. They're, they're very complex systems. And you have to be able to do these reproducibly and safely. And so you can look at an industrial arm of a robot that works in our manufacturing facility, but they're very simple robots. And they're not operating on a human being. And they're not, they don't have to deal with all of the the complexities of a, of a of a procedure that's very that's you know quite invasive. So you have to be very 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 careful. It's it's hard. They take years and and you know obviously we have a huge head start. We don't have the kind of head start Intuitive has in general surgery, but <laughs> we have a we have a big head start in orthopedics. And and time is valuable. And the other companies are they're coming on, but it's going to take them time to develop some of the learnings that we've gained over a decade plus. And looking at that ten-year mark again, I mean, it was ten years, I think, this year that you made the bid, the bid to Mako. And I do encourage people to listen to the story of you saying you you weren't going to bet the company, but you'd bet your career on the Mako purchase. I always love that line. Where are we today versus ten years? Obviously, we're up, we're farther along in the development. But in terms of patience and the understanding of the of surgical robotics, and even general public and myself, I'll, I'll admit I've, I've started now. What I, for, for, I was skeptical, not skeptical for a time, but I had questions for a time. Now I hear it and I hear about surgical robotics and it just makes perfect sense. And, I, and I've, I'm at a point where I'm like, well, how can we not have this? This is ridiculous. Like, Yeah. If, if you went to the recently, the Academy of Orthopedic Surgery was in Las Vegas. And if yeah. you walked around the, the, the shop, the floor, the showroom floor, all you saw were signs about robotics everywhere. Interesting. And, and so that wasn't the case. A decade ago, that was not the case at all. No. Then there was this, let's call it five, six year argument about do we need ro- robotics? Now the question is which robot yep. and for which application? So that, you know, do you need robotics? And that's stopped those arguments. Now there's still the occasional surgeon here or there that'll say, I don't need it. And that's fine. If they don't want to have robotics, they don't have to. But uh, but I would say that, that there's been a complete sea, sh- sea change that's occurred. And right now, 55% of our knees are going in with Mako. We announced that on the, on the earth, more than half. And we only launched the total knee 
five, six years ago, seven years ago. It's uh, incredible how quickly the uptake has happened and uh, close to a third of our hips are being done in the US on Mako. And we're seeing that kind of uptake happening around the world as well. Uh, faster adoption uh, of robotic assisted surgery. It's intuitive, it makes it, it, makes it easier for the surgeon, uh, it provides more precision, it, you know, less soft tissue disruption, all of those kind of benefits that are inherently obvious with, with, a, with a robot that doesn't get tired, that can do things very, very consistently, that provides a little bit more information to the surgeon. It's a change in the procedure. So change management takes a bit of time, but, uh, but we're seeing a complete change. And I expect the same to happen you know, with spine and shoulder, and especially the more complex procedures. I think shoulder for sure is a very complex, hard to do procedure. Uh, that one's really, really excited. And it's going to be obvious that you're going to want to do this. Your Robert Cohen was one of the people I, I interviewed on the podcast who, while he was talking, my mind was just smoking. I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is amazing. Yeah. If, um, Robert, if Robert can't convince you on robotics, nobody can. <laughs> I'll save some, some more of this for my conversation with Spencer Stiles a little later, but, uh, and, and similarly with Wright, but I just want to get a quick takeaway. Wright Medical, I think we're coming on two years, right? For the acquisition. That's right. Quick, quick statement to the integration. You, you're obviously happy where things are going. Yeah, I would, say, I would say delighted. Uh, you know, we always knew that part of the foot and ankle part was going to be tricky because we had overlapping portfolios, not so much in the total ankle, but in the midfoot and forefoot procedures. Uh, but that's gone extremely well. We learned our lessons from some of the previous integrations like K2M you mentioned and, and other integrations. And we, we really put a, a great playbook in front of us and we ran the offense extremely well. Uh, the upper extremities is flying. So we're, we're just delighted. It's, it's ahead of every single metric we had in our business model, top line, bottom line, synergies, everything is going extremely well. And we also picked up a lot of really terrific leaders and some fantastic surgeon key opinion leaders who were engaged with, with Wright Medical and not so much with Stryker. And they're providing great insight into the future pipeline. So not only do we pick up a great business, which mm -hmm. is growing very fast, but their pipeline of innovations was very strong. And we're starting to see that with things like patient match glenoid, a personalized approach to shoulder replacement, which we're in limited launch right now, going extremely well, FDA approved. Uh, we're, and we also have uh, limited launch with the HoloLens to be able to kind of see the, the, the implant in space in the operating room. Those are things in the pipeline that we frankly weren't as aware of. When you do a public deal, you can't do the same level of due diligence. And so I'll tell you that uh, the company is, is frankly better than I thought it was and just delighted with the deal. That's great. And let's focus on another big integration, Vocero coming up on a year since that acquisition. And that's a different kind of company you brought in. It's a communication company, not another device company. How has that gone? And, and what have been the challenges of bringing together two companies that I presume have different cultures, different ways of doing things, different ways of looking at things, or, or maybe not? Well, it's a different business. So yeah. sometimes when you buy an adjacency, like we bought Physio Control, we bought Sage, th those are just different businesses than the ones we have. They do operate in the same space, right? So they operate in hospitals alongside our businesses. So we've known Vocera for a long time. We've tracked them. I would say culturally in the sales force, there's, there's a little bit of a different approach at Stryker in the sales force. So we've kind of bringing our Stryker sales force mentality, but as it relates to the product and innovation and all of the marketing, and they do a terrific job. And, and that's something, frankly, they do better than us. We, we, we don't know how to do the communication. That's, it's a new muscle for Stryker, software as a service and doing these implementations, that's, that's different for us. Hmm. So for we're really pleased we were able to retain all of the key employees that we wanted to retain and they enjoy being part of Stryker. We're bringing some of our Salesforce kind of approach to the business. 
but I, I'm wildly excited about it. It's it, we when we do these adjacency integrations, they don't have the same level of complexity as an overlap deal where you have reps that you have to decide which rep is calling on which doctor and all of that messy part of integration. We don't didn't have that in this case when you buy an adjacent technology. But I'm wildly excited. The platform potential is enormous. A lot of the time has been spent early on just trying to figure out okay what products do we want to integrate with Vocero. We have this long list. We've already integrated our Procurity Bed which is phenomenal. So the, if the patient puts down the armrest, a message goes straight to the nurse. The nurse can speak to the patient and say, Tom, why are you lowering the arm rail? And Tom will say, well, I, I need to go to the bathroom. Hang on, I'll be right there to help you to make sure you don't fall. And, the, and that's two-way communication through the speaker of the bed, two-way. Fantastic, right? So this is the type of, just one feature. Uh, there's also a, a really great, sounds very simple feature called a panic button. So the nurse can press it, very silent alarm, like a, like when you're in a bank robbery, right? They press the silent alarm and everybody gets notified if a patient's getting unruly, which as you know, happens these days, if they're coming out of, you know, detox or, and, and they're a little bit violent or, or the nurse feels danger, this gives them an amazing security blanket and people can immediately, they all get notified, everybody on the ward and they can show up right away, which is really amazing. So there's about 15 other features I could talk about, but this is for Striker the exciting part. It's a platform that con- will continue to basically automate workflow in hospitals, take the cognitive load off of nurses, make their job easier, reduce the number of errors. Because if you give something like uh, you, you give a narcotic, it gets documented automatically into the system. So the next person looks, they're not looking at pieces of paper, it's all automated. So the workflow gets automated. Just as you can imagine, Workday operates inside of companies and salesforce.com operates inside of companies, this will be the workflow automation inside of hospitals. So uh, really excited about this. I think it has huge potential. And uh, so far, you know, we've, we've sort of, it's been early, early days. We haven't wanted to mess up any of their new product flow and new product development as we've sort of looked at the, how to integrate in the field, but uh, very excited and, and very bullish about the long-term potential. That's great. So, and again, going to that call, it, it sounds as if you're looking at tuck-in deals next. Maybe you're likely not to do a larger deal at the moment. I assume that's because you've just got enough on your plate right now. Why would you focus just on tuck-ins right now? Right now, it's simply because of our balance sheet. So yeah. we borrowed over $5 billion for Wright Medical, another $3 billion for Vocera in a relatively short period of time. So we just need to sort of get our balance sheet stronger before we get back into the billion-dollar kind of deal. So as I've described internally at Stryker, we're, we're going to do some appetizers now <laughs> until the end of this year, no main courses. But but as we get into next year, certainly we will be back on the, the larger deal flow because we generate plenty of cash. We'll pay down the term loan. Good news is all of the debt outside of the term loan, we have about $850 million left on that term loan. After that, basically all of our other debt's fixed rate. So we decided to get fixed rate debt for everything else. And so as interest rates have risen, it hasn't it's not affected our our obligation from an interest rate standpoint, interest expense standpoint. So we'll get back on offense again. We're never going to turn off deals at Stryker. You can't. You know, we you have to keep the muscle going. You have to keep the relationships with all of these potential uh, companies that we'd want to acquire. And uh, I expect we'll do you know two, three, four kind of small tuck-ins this year, but then we'll get back to maybe larger size deals next year. And it seems as if the timing for those deals would be would be nice. The the pricing you you have a feeling is kind of coming down to more comfortable level for you. Maybe not as comfortable for the seller as it was a year ago. But uh, you, if valuations yeah. are coming down, yeah, it's good. It's a good thing, and hopefully they'll stay there. And and the people who uh, we're interested in will will kind of accept a new reality. Their price points and some have come down a lot, especially uh, the ones that weren't making profits. 
Because if you look back in the last decade, there's so many companies that was just about growth. And if they were growing, didn't matter what their profits were, their stock price was rewarded. And those that uh, that weren't making money have been hit harder than those that were profitable. And so that's, we like to buy companies that are high growth. And oftentimes that doesn't come with profits. <laughs> and so, um, so the fact that valuations have come down is uh, potentially a good thing for us. Uh, we'll see. Let's talk now a bit about your internal R&D. We'll get into the super cycle in a moment. But if I'm remembering from the call, I think you were committing, was it a little over 5% of your sales to R&D? Is it roughly, roughly six and a half. Six and a half. Okay. Is that more or less than it's been in, in the past? Where is it trending? Well, when I started as CEO, it was about 5%. Okay. So it's gradually increased over time. It, it, it could touch close to 7% at one point. So it does depend on sort of the cadence of innovation. It's not uniform. Obviously, you know, Neurovascular is the highest spender in R&D because of the clinical trials involved in a PMA type of device. And then if you look at, let's say, our medical division, it tends to be a little bit on the lower end of the percent of sales. Now, they're very innovative. They don't necessarily spend as much on a percent of sales. They don't have to do the same clinical trials and some of the extra work uh, testing that's required. So we do have a range, but we make sure that all of our divisions have very competitive within their market space, very competitive R&D spends. And we think about R&D and acquisitions. And you need, for us, it's not one or the other, because if you don't have a strong R&D organization, they don't have a good sense of smell to identify acquisitions and decide what should we buy versus what shouldn't we buy? And also what, what price should we be paying? And so having a strong internal R&D engine is very important for us. Uh, it also helps us figure out what should we build versus what should we buy. I like that sense of smell. You'd mentioned on the call, someone was asking about, one of the analysts was asking about the spine business. And I believe you said your head of R&D from sports medicine moved last year over to spine. Right. I don't remember if you've said their name or not, but what does that kind of move bring? Is it just a, a new approach to R&D? I wonder what that does to a, a, an R&D group. Well, you know, leadership is critical in, in all aspects of business, right? You can't win without talent and culture. And in this case, Andy Hamill's his name, and he's moved over. And sports medicine over the last decade has been our most prolific R&D organization. They have launched the most new products over that period of time. If you think about sports, you know we were a pretty small player in sports medicine a decade ago, and now we're a leader in sports medicine. We've grown very strong, double digits, close, roughly 20%, an absolute growth rocket for us. And I'm not saying it's all because of Andy. I mean, we have a great team in Denver that has a lot of other terrific R&D talent, but he's been there and he's been part of that team and he's led it for a period of time, not the entire 10 years, but... He knows what good looks like. Even the endoscopy division, he had he's he's been involved in some of their launches as well. So he knows what really great R and D looks like. And the part of the you know striker decentralization means that sometimes you have some groups that are better than other groups, right? Because of the decentralized nature. And he'll bring a know-how on how to do a new product innovation quickly and effectively. And he'll bring that to to the spine team. So we're really excited about having him move over there. We do have to pick up our the pace of our innovation in spine. And I think having that also married with Mako will be really exciting for the spine business. Great. And, and I've referenced Supercycle a few times. So this, you're in the Supercycle of innovation, as you'd like to call it. What does that look like? How many how many products are you rolling out? And is this sort of the peak of a, of a, of a trend line? Or, or is this something that you hope is sustainable and you want to keep rolling out products at this pace? Yeah, look, look uh, R&D innovation is critical to you can't be a growth company if you don't have great innovation. And for us, R&D innovation has been a critical fuel to our growth. The super cycle just kind of refers to the 
the fact that a lot of innovation is all happening at the same time. Part of it is happenstance and part of it is picking up the pace of some of our innovation, reducing the cycles between prior versions of launches. And, and I, I mean, I don't have enough time to list all the new products. We're sure. But the reason I call it a super cycle is we have so much innovation going on, but we also have big platforms all hitting it around the same time, which is a bit more unusual, like the System 9 power tool, a new camera launch, a new big professional defibrillator launch towards the end of this year. You have the Expedition Chair, which is a powered chair that you can go up in these apartments in big cities and bring the patient down beautifully. You have the Insignia stem, that's hip stem, that's only halfway through its launch. The Procurity Bed, that's still in a, the early phases of its launch. Obviously, Vocera is a new product for us. Upper and lower extremities both have multiple launches going on. I talked about a couple of the, the shoulder launches, but the same in, in foot and ankle, we have a number of smaller product launches. So all of these, it's just a, a tremendous amount of big launches. We also have Neptune S, which is really exciting. That's a play on safety. So Neptune prevents caregivers from being exposed to hazardous waste, surgical you know, waste and fluids. And the beauty is Neptune S is really designed, it'll work very well in the ASC, but it's also designed for GI. And right now, that's not being used at all. And the staff is exposed to this waste when they're trying to find polyps. This is going to contain all the waste and has a polyp catcher. That's super elegant. Uh, they're just going to love this product. And, and nurses love Neptune today, but but nurses aren't using it in the GI suite. And this is a brand new market that's going to be created. That's that's launching in Q2. So, you know, just incredible amount of really exciting launches all kind of at around the same time. That's why I call it a super cycle. And, and, and you, you saw some of that with the growth that we had in Q4, but that'll continue uh, for the next couple of years. Andy Pierce, you talked about nurses coming over and hugging the Neptune at shows. Just literally, <laughs> literally, because you know it, it protects them. You know, this safety thing is a big deal, by the way. Sure. We have a lot of, you know, Vocera, I just talked about some of the features. That's safety. That provides safety to the nurse, a feeling of safety, but also safety in making sure you don't make errors. We have these powered cots that prevent EMTs from hurt, injuring their back and, and having workers' comp claims. The powered stair I talked about is a safety feature. We have smoke-free, we're a leader in smoke-free operating rooms, which is all about safety and not exposing staff to, to what is the equivalent of roughly 20 unfiltered cigarettes if you're in the operating room all day long. That kind of secondhand smoke is very damaging. Fluorescence imaging provides safe identification of anatomy to make sure you have safe surgery because it lights up the anatomy. So all of these, this safety play, frankly, has been, the attention to safety has been exacerbated by the pandemic. So everyone's concerned about this now. And we already had a portfolio that played to it, and we're actually increasing that going forward. Excellent. And final bit we'll wrap up on, and it's an important one. You and I talked three years ago now following the, the murder of George Floyd about work that had to be done in the DEI space within MedTech and, and things you were doing within Stryker. We had Annie Heath on in the last episode uh, talking about what she's working on. How has things progressed over the last couple of years and, and how do you see progress continuing to come at Stryker? Look, I'm extremely excited about the progress we've made uh, in the last decade. I'm a huge believer in DEI. I just think if you want the best talent uh, and you have to fish wherever you can to find the best talent. And then of course they have to feel included. Um, they have to feel that there's an equitable treatment, that they have the same opportunity as others. And, you know, we've been on a drive on this and we've made huge progress, particularly with women. I, I'm just delighted with the progress we've made at the VP level, at the manager level, at the individual employee level. And we publish all of our DEI statistics in our comprehensive report externally. 
I'm not proud of all of our metrics and we still have a ways to go. Um, certainly with people of color, there's still work to do. I would say that we've made not as much progress there, but we have a lot of initiatives underway. Annie probably talked about those. What's great is there's a great belief inside our company that improving in DEI improves business results. If I look at the divisions that have improved in their DEI metrics, they've also improved their growth. They've also improved their profits. So we're getting better as a company as we become more diverse. So it, that's a really great selling feature is we're not, yes, it's nice. It's a nice thing to do, but it's it's really about driving better performance. And frankly, our customers are noticing it. And they're actually asking us, a lot of the societies have come to us to say, can you help us with our DE and I oh, really? uh, initiatives because you're slightly ahead of us. And we're more than happy to share, you know, not that we're, let's say the world's best experts, but we certainly have found formulas for success. We had one ER employee resource group 10 years ago. We now have eight employee resource groups. None are corporate mandated. So the employees have to ask for it. They have to come and make their case for why they want one. And then if, if and then we'll provide some kind of support for them, executive sponsorship if they want that, some funding. And when I say funding, very basic amounts of funding so they can do some programming, but it's all based on grassroots demand. Nothing's corporately mandated. And I think that makes it a lot more palatable. People are doing it because they want to do it and they want their, to help drive uh, inclusion. And you know, as an industry, I, I, I launched the pillar of DE&I uh, when I became chairman. That was continued by Mike Minogue and Ashley will continue that as she assumes the chair just recently, she assumed the, the chair of the association. We want to lift the association as well, lift the water level on DEI because our industry lags some other industries. And that's just history. But we can overcome history. Even if I look around the Abimid, uh board now, uh, it's certainly a lot more diverse than it was when I joined 10 years ago. So we're, we're on a positive trajectory, long way to go still. But again, uh, I go back to what I said at the beginning. This is all about improving our performance, uh, improving our innovation, improving our creativity, improving our business results. And that's the main reason for wanting to do this. Excellent. And final question. We talked about your last 10 years as CEO. Talked about the exciting place we're in now with digital surgery, with all the new technologies, with Vocero coming into Stryker. Do you have a sense of what Stryker might look like in 10 years? Do you have an idea of where it's going? Is it going to look drastically different? Maybe you can't draw us a picture, but are we going to recognize it? <laughs> well, I think I think you'll recognize it. You know, what does Stryker do, right? We specialize on solving problems for our customers. And honestly, we don't care if that involves an implant, a piece of capital equipment, a digital solution, a service. We have Flex Financial to provide financing solutions. So we're going to continue to solve customer problems. And by our decentralized approach, we get very, very close to our customers. Did I think I would buy Gauss Surgical, an app? I, you know, five years ago, no, I just, it wasn't in my mind, but it solves the problem of quantifying blood loss. Did I think I'd buy a Vocera when I became CEO? No, but obviously that solves problems with workflow and hospitals. So because of our open-minded approach to saying, we're not just this or that, we're about solving customer problems. That gives you, I mean, look at walk through hospitals. There are a lot of problems that need to be solved. Yep. And uh, we're not going to be, you know, solving all their problems, but we have huge opportunities within the three segments that we operate in. And I think we'll we'll continue to to grow within those segments, could potentially add other segments down the line. Wouldn't rule it out. There's a lots of adjacencies that I like. I've been very public about some of those adjacencies that will continue to, to play to our strengths, our strengths of being decentralized, close to customers, clinically oriented. That's what Strikers is about. And so I think we'll, we'll continue to be a growth company. That much I can assure you of. That's in our DNA. And growth is the priority at Striker. We'll continue to, to drive high growth. But the, the solutions we come up with are going to be 
very different probably a decade from now, but I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited about the growth we've had, uh, the growth we're going to continue to have. I can certainly have a good vision for five years. Then the five years after that's a little harder to see what that will be exactly, but I wouldn't bet against Stryker. I hate not ending on that note, but I got to ask, what's one of the adjacencies? I don't know if I've, I, maybe I missed a call somewhere. But. Oh, I, I've named them. I've named them multiple <laughs> times. People get excited when I say these because sometimes it then drives some of the stocks up a little bit in those spaces, but I'm not guaranteeing that we'll, you know, that we'll jump into these spaces, but there's spaces like peripheral vascular. There's spaces like neuromodulation. Yep. There's there's healthcare IT, obviously with Vocera. There's uh, women's health and neurology. We're already kind of in it to some degree with with some of our products uh, in the endoscopy division, but not in a in a major way. There's soft tissue robotics. Hey, is it a path simple? No way. Right? <laughs> not obvious how we would do it. Clearly, with as you've seen, some other people have had some challenges. Uh, not an easy space to get into. Would I like to get into that space? Sure. Is it uh, when and how? Not at all obvious. And that's the same thing I would apply with things like peripheral and neuromodular. Those are spaces I like. Which company, when, how, TBD, right? And and then the divisions have their own list. So this is my list. Let's say for at the corporate level, then each division has their own list. And, you know, Vocera was on the list of medicals. And so was Physio Controls. And we ended up buying those. But so I'm just giving you some spaces and in addition to that, the divisions have their own list. So don't, you know, just assume, well, that's the list and he's going to start <laughs> down that order. It, 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 it's, it's, uh, it's not so easy when you, when you want to get into a new space. It, a lot of stars have to align before you do that. Oh, you can be sure that when you do make one of those deals, I'll, I'll post to this podcast, as he said in this podcast three sure. years ago. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I think it's important for people to know what kinds of things we're looking at and also yeah. what kinds of things we're not looking at, right? So there's there's a, you have to decide what you want to be as a company and you're not going to you know be great at everything. And, and those spaces I mentioned are spaces that kind of play to our existing strengths. And I could see them as being part of Strike. Great. Well, I appreciate the time. I'm not going to wait 10 years to, to talk to you again. I'm sure we'll, we'll connect again. Thanks for the time, Kevin. Love okay, thank, thank you, Tom. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much, Kevin Lobo, for joining us on the Striker Talks podcast. Thank you, SMC, for sponsoring this episode. And thanks, of course, to you, our listeners. Please don't miss a future episode of Striker Talks. Subscribe to the Device Talks podcast network. You'll have future episodes of Striker Talks and our other amazing podcasts sent directly to you. Also, do us a favor, would you, of sharing this episode on social media. When you do, please connect with me. I am on LinkedIn, Tom, S-A-L-E-M-I, Editorial Director of Device Talks. You can also connect to Device Talks and Mass Device. And of course, I hope you're following Stryker. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Stryker Talks podcast. Take care, everybody.